you to turn in your Bibles, please, to the second book of Corinthians, chapter 5. My message today is entitled, Words of Reconciliation. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And it's a powerful ministry. It's a ministry that you have, you don't even have to ask about. People say, oh, what's my ministry? I want a ministry. What, God, how are you going to, I want you to use me, God. I don't know what my ministry is, but I'm going to tell you. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. <laughs> come on, come on, 11 o'clock. You are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And he's given to you a ministry. A ministry in which he's put into your mouth words of reconciliation. And we're going to talk about that today. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was recon reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, or the word of reconciliation. We are therefore God, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. When Paul says, we are Christ's ambassadors and, and, and to us he's committed the word of reconciliation. I wonder if you think a little bit about what it's like. Who is, who is he speaking about? Who, when Paul says, to us has given the ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who is he talking about? Um, this is a rhetorical question, so don't, don't answer just now, but just think about it. Because sometimes and very often, the us is the apostolic us. The we is the apostolic we. And uh, even so, for example, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when Jesus said, you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's very clear when he says that, he's speaking to a specific group of people. And that is those the 12, the very early apostles, very clear that he said, you are going to be my witnesses. I'm going to send my spirit upon you so that you can testify concerning me. And that's an important part of our understanding of the gospel. Because these people spoke and testified about what they saw and heard. That's what a witness is. They were eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses of Christ, they were there when Jesus preached. They saw him perform the miracles. 
spent a great deal of time with him, even more than, than amongst the crowds, when, when Jesus would carefully instruct them and explain things. And then, then he said, I'm going to send my spirit on you, and you're going to recall things, going to come back to your remembrance. And, and that is the apostolic testimony, which is the full and sufficient testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the apostle Paul says, if I myself or even an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. Because Paul says the revelation of the gospel has been given to us apostles and it's the foundation for the whole church of all time. So you say, well, how do we know what's in that? How do we know what's in that foundation? Well, the foundation is clear. Can you imagine if we were still building this building and not knowing where the foundation was? If we wanted to do an extension, we'd have to check out the foundation. The foundation is foundational to everything. And the Bible says that God has laid a foundation and his name is Christ and we build on that foundation and the revelation that was given to the early apostles and prophets was to build that foundation and then the Bible makes it very clear that God caused that testimony to be recorded in scripture. The gospels even when Paul said, we are Christ's ambassadors, the Gospels were not yet written. Of course, stories about Jesus, eyewitness testimony, oral tradition was everywhere. And, and, but the time came when that had to be gathered and placed in one place so the church of every generation could know what the Gospel is. And the Apostle Paul, when he says, we are ambassadors of Christ and we've been given this ministry, very often he's talking about the revelation that God has given him as a primary apostle. In the book of Corinthians, he even challenges the local church prophets. Local church prophets were saying, we can speak, thus saith the Lord. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. This is what God's saying. And Paul says, well, son, I beg to differ. That's not what God's saying. So they began to argue with Paul. said, well, who are you? He said, I'll tell you who I am. If you reject what I say, you will be rejected. Was he megalomaniac? Was he some kind of dictator? No, no, no. He had the capacity by God to speak infallible revelation. God was speaking through Paul and the other apostles in a way that does not happen today. Because if it did, we'd be adding to the Bible. But the Bible is complete. And the Gospels, when they were written, gives us everything, not just that we need to know, but everything that God has revealed. And nothing outside of that is revelation. Even early church history and tradition is questionable. The scholars are still debating and revising church history because they don't have an infallible record. So in other words, nothing that's outside of the Bible is going to give you a, a sure word from God, but only the prophecy of Scripture is the sure word from God. So when Paul says, 
We are Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of Jesus Christ. He is saying that those early apostles had an authority to represent Jesus to the point that what they said was what Jesus was saying, and what Jesus was saying was what they said. That's very important. That is the foundation of our faith, the revelation of the gospel. Now, I spent time on that so that I would not mislead you about what I'm about to say next. But where I really want to focus on is not what the apostles said and the revelation that God gave them in the New Testament. What I want to focus on is your ministry and my ministry all these thousands of years later. Because when God, Jesus spoke to those early apostles and said, when the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. You will testify concerning what you have seen, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it happened. But that is also a word to us. We have a Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is London. We are also called to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Those early apostles, they could say, ah, we were there, Peter could say. And John, uh, they, and, uh, they could say, we were there on the mountain. We saw his glory. They could stand out and say, I was outside the tomb when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. We were there. Now, we personally were not there, but for us, it's recorded in here. But we, it doesn't mean to say we've got no story to tell. Okay? Well, if the testimony's all done, what's our job? <laughs> we too have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. We do not need to invent new doctrines, receive new doctrines, but we bear witness and testimony to the doctrines that are already there, the relationship with Jesus Christ, we are there. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says, I am a new creation. And I always used to think to myself, and there was a song way back in the impossibilities when, when I first became a Christian, and, and I began to sing, and I had my own words. I was very radical. I am a new creation. I forgot the second line made up my own. And the devil's no relation. <laughs> it wasn't in the original song, but being a free spirit, I was making it up as I went along. But it's the truth. I am a new creation, and the devil's no relation. That means something has happened to us. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've experienced him. Our lives have been changed, and we have a story to tell. Amen and amen. amen. You know, in, the, in John's Gospel, chapter 9, when there is a, this uh, blind man who is healed, remember that? Blind man who's healed, blind from birth and so on, and he's healed, and, and there was big controversy because uh, they were saying, you know, who this guy, the Messiah, is that what you call him? And, 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 and parents came in and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and this man, he said, listen, kept saying this, I don't know about that, but there's one thing I know. <laughs> this one thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. I don't anything about anything else, but this I know. This I know. I was blind, but now I see. No, no, I don't understand that. I don't know. You have your theological debates. I don't know. You, but I tell you what, one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. And that testimony cut through all of the contradictions and all the machinations of all the religious arguments, they fell to the ground because there was a man there with a story, a man with an experience, a man who'd met Christ. And that man is you. That woman is you. You and I have met Christ. We have a story to tell. 
You are a witness on behalf of His Majesty's government. I'm not talking about future government of Charles. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are ambassadors to represent the kingdom of God. You are witnesses. And you are exhibit A in the kingdom of God. God says, look at you. Exhibit A, tell your story. And whenever you tell your story, you speak with as much authority as any apostle, any word from any epistle, because God is writing his story on your life. You are the proof positive that the gospel is true. Can I have an amen in the house of God? You have a story to tell. If you are called into court to give witness, to be a testimony, to be a witness in a case, either for the prosecution or the defense. They will question you, and they will want to know what you saw, what you heard. And it won't be, well, I think I heard a person with brown hair, six feet tall, <coughs> over the road in the room behind the house in the dark. They will say, what are you talking about? Were you there? No, I was over the road. Did you see him? No. <laughs> Did you hear him? No. But I think he was there. Why do you think he was there? Well, somebody told me. Well, let's go and speak to that somebody because you is no use in this court right now. <laughs> we want to know what you hear, what you see. And that's the same for you. Every single day, you can bring a word about what you know of Christ. Words of reconciliation. And the wonderful thing is, is that God has done his part. We read the passages, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, meaning that God has acted to bring us back to himself. Reconciliation means that a, there's a relationship that's broken down. The Bible never says that God needs to be reconciled to us because he's done nothing wrong. There's been no breakdown in the relationship from God's point of view. God still loves you. And the Bible says God loves the whole world. We are his creation. That love is infinite. That love is strong. And it's in that love that he sent Christ to be the reconciler of humanity back to God. Now, there is a problem that God has, if you can put it that way. There is a big issue, and that is that sin incurs the wrath of God. To put this just in plain language, God gets angry over sin. And it's not just that he's in a, he's in a you know, bad business. You're enjoying yourself a bit too much. I think I better zap you and put you in your place. No, no, no. Sin is an offense to God. Sin is against God's holy nature. And God has to clean it up. He has to deal with it. He has to sort it out. You and I can ignore it. God, who is the governor of all things, the judge of all the earth, the one who is absolutely, infinitely holy, can never overlook sin. 
He can't do it. He can't even say, well, let's pile up all the good stuff, let's pile up all the bad stuff, and we'll just kind of call it quits. No way. God is so holy. So this is his anger, his righteous reaction to sin. And, but also, the other side of the problem is we. We hate God in and of ourselves. God hates us living in rebellion from Genesis 3 onwards, doing our own thing, going our own way, having no place for God, no fear of God in our lives. So we've got a big problem here. God loves us, but his wrath has to be satisfied. God loves us, but we don't love him. We, we're rebellious. We, we are God-haters. The, the natural man, our flesh, can never please God or submit to God. But hallelujah, God sorted it out. He sent Jesus Christ to be the substitute sacrifice for the sins of the world, and two at least, more than that, but talking about two, big things happened. Number one, that blood satisfied God's justice and his wrath concerning our sins, which means the weight to God is open in Christ and in Christ alone. Don't have to, I'm not talking about against any other religion, I'll tell you. Don't have to talk against them, I'm talking for Christianity. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was the only one ever even promised or produced or even spoken of in these terms as to be the one mediator between God and man to die on the cross for the sins of the world and to turn God's wrath away from us. So that means now our sins do not count against us if we're in Christ. Hallelujah. Second big thing that he did. By his blood, he dealt with that sin nature, that rebellious nature in us, and released an anointing of conviction of sin to draw us to himself so that haters of God before. Okay, old story. The old creation, you and me. God haters should become lovers of God. Amen. Enemies of God should become friends of God. Amen. Hallelujah. He made all that possible reconciliation. So Jesus died so that God's wrath would be turned away. Forgiveness would come into our lives and we would be restored back to God. Oh, that's wonderful. But it doesn't end there. Because he says, this is what I've done. Look at this, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what God is saying? He's saying, I have done my part. Now I'm giving you something to do. I have worked the work of reconciliation but I want to commit this message into your hands so that you can go and tell other people about it. 
This is the ministry of reconciliation. And it's an amazing thing. Because on the one hand, it's talking about all the amazing things that God did. We could never do that. It's all of God's grace. None of us could ever in ourselves come back to God. We couldn't do it. We couldn't pay the price for our own sins. We needed God. We, we hated him. The Bible says we're dead in transgressions and sins. The natural man is enmity with, with the things of God. If God would come around the corner, we'll, we'll go around the other corner. There's this natural humanity, fallen humanity, where we, we, we resist God, but something happened. Something happened. The Holy Spirit came and began to win us back. And, and Jesus' blood on the cross is paid for all of that. And oh, that's what God does. And you would say, that's amazing. But he doesn't end there the same breath. He says, I've given this me message of, of reconciliation to you. I've given you something to do. I want you to go and tell people about it. I want to tell you. I want you to tell people about it. I want you to talk about it. That's what I'm calling today. That's where I am now. Words of reconciliation. Now, I've traveled a long way, drawn some maps. We've built a few bridges. And now we're right where we want to be. Words of reconciliation. If I had a microphone, which I don't have, and if we had time, which I don't have, and I passed it around to you, which I won't do, but you had one hour each, which you don't have, and said to everybody, answer to this question, how did you come to Christ? With absolutely everybody, without exception, maybe a few minor exceptions, but for the vast majority, your story would be, do you know, somebody spoke to me. It was something somebody said. I saw something. Somebody's life was different. I met a new creature. A new creation person. And that impressed me. For me, it was my brother. At the age of 18, we'd been separated for some while as I came to Australia. I came from Australia to the United Kingdom. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But when I saw him, I knew something had changed. Something had changed. My flesh bro bro brother. Something had changed. There was light in his eyes. There was something there. There was a smile. There was a peace. And he wasn't a saint, you know. He wasn't as if he'd become so holy he was embarrassing to know. But something had happened. And he gave me some words of reconciliation. And for, for the vast majority of you, you are here today in Christ because somebody spoke a word of reconciliation over your life and into your life. Can I have a hallelujah? Let's give God glory because that's, that's glorious. For me, I, I, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, I've told my story many times, but you probably never heard my story. Have you ever heard my testimony of how I came to Christ? Have you? No, I don't know why we preachers don't talk about that more often. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because that's a long story. I just want to use some of it to illustrate this. When I was thinking about words of reconciliation, memory came back to me. I couldn't have been more than 10 years of age. So this is a long time ago. This is 50 years ago. Can you believe it? Yeah, obviously you can, all right. 
50 years ago, 50 years ago, amazing. And uh, my mother, right the way from Kenya in Africa, Tanzania, and, and, and then in Australia when we migrated to Australia from, uh, from East Africa, would always take us to church. And this was the old-fashioned, traditional, dress up in your Sunday best and go to church. And because we weren't always introduced to gospel preaching, Bible-believing, spirit-filled churches, some of us sometimes speak a bit negatively of these other church traditions. This was a high Anglican church. Uh, you probably have heard it, maybe you know it. It's smells and bells territory. You don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, they, they incense, robes, ding-dong bells. And God reminded me that something happened way back when I was 10 years of age because the, the, my mother said, you, you need to get involved with the youth activity. Well, you know, there were, what was there, a bit of basketball, but actually the main thing was the boys' choir that sang Sunday by Sunday. And very quickly, they discovered something about me. There, how, how, how shall I put it? Well, you know, when I was singing, I was singing here, and the tune was somewhere over here. <laughs> so as not to discourage me, they said, we would like to see if there's anything else you can do. <laughs> what are you interested in? And I just started dance classes... And I said, well, you know, I am learning ballet. Now, listen, 50 years ago, you need to know where this place is. In Western Australia, it's a town called Kalgoorlie. And I want to tell you, you don't want to be a 10-year-old boy going to ballet classes in Kalgoorlie 50 years ago. It was not cool. But the church was very, okay, well, we, we can incorporate this. And so they, they gave me a project to choreograph something that would go to a hymn so that instead of singing, I could dance. <laughs> and for them, it was worth it. <laughs> and they gave me this hymn. Uh, any Anglicans here? If you are, all right, don't be, don't be ashamed. Hushed was the evening hymn. Anybody remember that hymn? Okay. Oh, no, no, what, what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to show I looked up on the internet. I also learned the tune, but this morning, somehow, the words in the tune didn't seem to work. So, so I'm just going to read it. Okay, listen. But I want you to focus on the words. Now, what I'd done was I'd choreographed a kind of dance piece to this hymn. But listen to these words. And this word came back to me yesterday. I was thinking about it. Straight away, you have no idea. Fifty years, a word of reconciliation is still in my spirit. Listen. Story of Samuel and Eli. Hushed was the evening hymn. The temple courts were dark. The lamp 
was burning dim before the sacred ark, when suddenly a voice divine rang through the silence of the shrine. The old man, meek and mild, the priest of Israel slept. His watch, the temple child, the little Levite kept. And what from Eli's sense was sealed, the Lord to Hannah's son revealed. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, the open ear, O Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word. Like him to answer at thy call and to obey thee first of all. Oh, give me Samuel's heart, a lowly heart that waits where in thy house, that thy house thou art, or watches at thy gates. By day and night, a heart that still moves at the breathing of thy will. Oh, give me Samuel's mind, a sweet, unmurmuring faith, obedient and resigned to thee in life and death, that I may read with childlike eyes truths that are hidden from the wise. Wow. The spiritual truth and the worshipful devotion that is in this old traditional hymn. I remember 50 years later, I can hardly remember any sermon preached. And I think actually the hymns were better than the sermons. Words of reconciliation stirring in my spirit. I remember also a little later on, still in Australia, in uh, high school, when the religious instruction teacher didn't show up. We were delighted. <laughs> A free period. But no, something happened. The door opened, and in strode Mr. Dobson. What was old Dobbo, oh, excuse me, sorry. Uh, what was Mr. Dobson doing there? He was the math teacher. No messing with Dobbo, I tell you. What's he doing? Is he going to give us more math? No. He was standing in the gap in this religious education class. What's he going to say? So he grabbed hold of the, the box of chalks in all different colors and walked to the chalkboard and he began to draw. And of course, you know, you know, maths for me is, I don't know, I mean, this, this part of the brain, you know, this creative side, math two plus four, who cares? Somebody else can work, somebody else can work that out. And the maths, maths, and he just, it was just like, it was fascinating. He, just to watch him as he was furiously drawing on the board, he was drawing stuff and coloring it in, and I thought, at last, some culture in my, in my high school. And, and he's drawing, and the chalk is flying everywhere, clouds of chalk and color, and I thought, now this is more like it. And when he'd finished, he'd drawn pictures of trees and, and lakes and rivers and mountains, and, and he said, you know all of this? This didn't come. From nowhere. 
and, the, and then he began to talk about the God who created this beautiful world. I was loving it. God's an artist. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. God's an artist. I'm right in. Hallelujah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> He's creative. He did this. He made me. He made me wonderful. Hallelujah. Everything. And then he talked about how God sent Jesus into this world and he gave his personal testimony of how he met with God in Christ and stirred up my heart. It was words of reconciliation, like seeds sown in my spirit. Okay, fast forward a little bit further. Now I am 16 years of age. I've escaped from home. I've come to London for them to make of me a star. And here I am. This is, this is in the summer of 1970. Anybody was around in 1970? Yeah. Well, if you go to the history books, you will see. I mean, this was the very, literally, the end of the 60s. This was hippie culture. Wow, man, it was far out. And our group of friends and I said, you know, before we get into class in September, let's go to the Isle of Wight because the Isle of Wight Pop Festival was just following on from Woodstock. Woodstock, this is all history for many of you. Woodstock, 1968, and then we started doing it in this country and the Isle of Wight Pop Festival is still, still happening today. And, and this was 19. And we were there, pitched my tent, and everything was just amazing. And hundreds and thousands of people came, and artists came in from all over the world. And, and we had a feast of all of these, all these amazing artists. Joan Baez, Tiny Tim, Pentangle. Ah, oh, okay. Well, it was 1970. Jimi Hendrix. Okay, so you know him. <laughs> this was Jimi Hendrix, one of his final concerts, because he passed away later on in that year. And Jimi Hendrix was playing late at night. Remember, nobody was going to bed. There was enough stuff floating in the atmosphere to keep you awake, I can tell you. <laughs> I never did drugs because I wanted to stay healthy because I was training to be a ballet dancer, so I didn't do drugs. <laughs> you didn't have to do drugs. I mean, you just, had to just breathe. <laughs> and Hendrix, and it was just amazing. You know, you, you, you better keep a link with this link of history. I saw Jimi Hendrix live. I heard him play, David, eat your heart out. And when he'd finished, it was late Saturday night, coming to Sunday morning. And then in between acts, a guy came and took the microphone. And he said, I've been given permission to talk to you about Jesus. And he began to preach. I, mean, I don't know how many were there. You look it up in the record books. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And he preached. He preached with such passion. And it was just amazing. And people were standing up. And I'm not saying this about, about pop festivals and rock concerts and all that kind of stuff, but there were demons everywhere, I can tell you. They were manifesting. There's no doubt about it. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it could see this. But he preached, and something happened. He was talking about a God who loved us, a God who was there to rescue us. And, and that was just a few months before I came to Christ when my brother came from Africa to England to talk to me about Jesus. Words of reconciliation. 
words that changed my life. You are here because somebody spoke to you. Now, there are very rare, but it does happen, where people come to Christ without any human agency, apparently. You know? God appears. Or something happens. But for most of us, we are here because there are links in the chain that have brought us to Jesus. And every one of those links is important. That archdeacon, who rather than kick me out of the choir, said, you can continue to be in this choir so long as you dance and don't sing. I mean, that's 50 years ago. That's pretty radical. That maths teacher who stepped into the gap and and testified about Christ, what it meant to him in his life. The man who snatched the microphone in 1970 after Hendrix had been been, um, playing. My brother, who took an air ticket all the way from Africa, right, to the north of England, to take me to a meeting where I heard the gospel preached with clarity and saw the new creation work in my brother, that's why I am here. Amen. Amen. Who brought you? Now, that sounds bad, isn't it? Look what the, tra- look what the cat dragged in. Who brought you? I know, that sounds bad, doesn't it? So let, let me try again. Can we just take that out of the tape, wind it back? Okay, it's out. Okay. How did you get it? That doesn't work either. 52 bus. Um, can. No, no, no. There are links in, a, in the chain that have led right up to this point in your life. And you are also links in the chain for other people. He's given you words of reconciliation. And the thing about sharing that is that it's hardly ever do you meet somebody and you know and, and, and you talk to them, they've never heard about God, not interested in any of this stuff, and you just say, Jesus loves you and he died for you, and they say, What must I do to be saved? Hardly ever happens that way. It can, it can, but hardly ever. Usually, when when people give their lives to Christ, there's a whole backstory of experiences, of how God has spoken to them, what's happened to them. And, and, and we, we are just to be the right person at the right place to forge the next link. And maybe, hallelujah, maybe you are the last link in the chain, and after this they say, what must I do to be saved? Or they're ready. And that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. And we, that's what we live for, we pray for, we share our faith, and, and, and somebody has to be the last link in the chain. And that's the most important of all, which is saying, now you know, what are you going to do about it? You have to make a decision to follow Christ. Did you know that? Don't forget that in friendship evangelism, it can be, if you're not careful, more friendship than evangelism. The devil isn't going to worry about making his appeal. He's going to pounce at the right time. 
and he's, he's going to go for the jugular vein. So while we're pussyfooting around saying, oh yes, we love everybody in this church, have another cup of tea, yes, we'll see you next week, the devil's saying, come to my house. The devil's saying, do this, convert to this, believe this. We need to get to the place where we know what the final link is to say, have you come to that place in your life where you can commit your life to Christ? Amen. And so we know how to do that. But you don't do that in the beginning because there's a process. And what I'm talking about is, is the need right now for Christians in London and Britain to rise up and be counted and recognize they are ambassadors for Jesus Christ and to be able to speak a word you never know. I, I don't even think that Mr. Dobson had any clue at all ever what his words did for me. No, I, I'm sure he has no idea. And sometimes we will not see the conclusion here on earth, but we'll see it in heaven. You will be surprised at the words you've spoken that have influenced others towards Christ. Now, in our cell meetings, it's, they're just so wonderful. Christians are meeting together. Believers are meeting together, building one another up, encouraging one another, praying for one another, flowing with the vision of the church, growing spiritually, and so on, and, and caring for one another. That's absolutely amazing. Now, something has to happen. We just need to turn towards the lost. Everybody say, turn to war. Do it with the, do it the, with the actions, everybody. Come on now. Turn towards the lost. Okay, I've got lots of those. I'll just give you that one. Open up. That's enough. I just wanted you to do something that, that will just you remember. And, and that, that change of focus... Is, is so subtle, we know about it, we love the lost, we know Jesus, we want to uh, express our faith, but sometimes we just get so preoccupied with our own needs and we've forgotten that we are ambassadors. So it's just, it's just a little change of orientation because our heart is there. We want to see London one for Christ, n'est-ce pas mes amis? Say, say oui, c'est vrai. <laughs> Hallelujah. And bless you. <laughs> Come on, I'm preaching to the converted. There's nothing wrong with you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let it show. You have words of reconciliation. You have the message of reconciliation. Let it show so they can know. Just turn just that little bit in that direction to the lost. They're waiting for it. Who would have thought, and I tell you, nobody would have thought that anybody was interested in what Dobbo was saying, old Mr. Dobson. I can say that now because he's with Jesus. It was a long time ago, unless he's lived to 120, which is about possible. And if you're watching this, God bless you for what you said. <laughs> oh, praise Jesus. 
Can you see? And this is your ministry. You read it again, your, the ministry. This is your ministry. It's not like everything that you ever do, but in one sense, it is everything you ever do. It's the whole purpose, isn't it? And they're waiting, they're thirsty, they're waiting. Everybody else is standing up and telling what you... But I know when you ever try, try and talk to, talk to people about Jesus... Could the musicians come back for me, please? You know, when you ever talk, start talking to people about Jesus, you know what you get? You get a lot of this. And you just say one little thing, and it's... And what's more? They do all the talking. And they say, well, you're the one that's trying to ram religion down their throats. As they're at the moment, <laughs> haven't got a word in. <laughs> haven't got a word in. And, and, and when, 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 they, when, when they're talking back, talking back, talking back, all you have to do is listen to the Holy Spirit. And just at the right time, just drop that seed in. You don't have to know everything. There are some who can help you with that. There are some doctors, RT, some professors, some people, or I tell you what, they have forgotten more than any of us would ever learn. There are people whose brains are so enormous. I don't know how God could cram so many gray cells into one single person's cranium. But we're not all like that, are we? If you are, go for it. But we can all study, we can all learn, and we can all exercise this ministry. Listen, tell you, we're coming up to Missions Month. I tell you, try it. Don't try and prove any point. Just talk once I, I just talk. Just drop that word. And when you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but I just know there's something exciting is about to happen when we just turn out with just that little bit and just focus towards people what we have they need we are sent as ambassadors with authority with a word that will can reconcile them to God because of what Jesus has done